Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to sing praises to our Lord and Savior. He is so faithful to us. A few announcements before we get started. Uh, we are back in the full swing of things with the Wednesday Ladies Bible Study that's happening in the morning, uh, the Friday night uh, gatherings with the, the youth and the Word Bible Study. Um, so be encouraged to attend those or be involved with those. After the service today, we're going to have a meeting, uh, just a brief meeting to go over a couple of upcoming events looking ahead. So uh, Bob is going to be uh, spearheading a biblical dinner, something that we haven't done for a long time, and he will explain what that is and how we can be involved. And also next year, we have a church camp that we're planning, and so there'll be more explanation about that and uh, just more detail and looking forward to God doing awesome thing in mid-April during school holidays next year, so 2024. So we're looking towards these things, and uh, you'll have opportunities to not just attend, but to be involved with uh, um, contributing with serving and organizing and, and being a part of it. So uh, something for everyone. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day. Thank you for your, your faithfulness to us all. Thank you that you are there every season and that you allow seasons of life, seasons of health, seasons of illness, seasons of, of seeming success, and then seasons of weakness. And you allow these things, and you allow them all to happen at the same time because you are, you are good. And thank you that you care not only about our physical well-being but our spiritual well-being and that you, you care for us as a father cares for his children. And, and we are blessed to be loved by you, to receive salvation through Jesus, to be helped by you, to be guided to seek you in difficult seasons. And thank you that you are faithful, that we can count on you. And it's we who forget. It's we who lose sight of you. You never lose sight of us. So we thank you, Lord, for... Uh, this, uh, this morning and for the word that will be brought, and we pray that you would fill us all with your spirit to impart and receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I read a good book and I think, well, there's a book I don't need to write. Um, like, if, if the topic's been covered very well, it's, it's biblically accurate, it's avoiding extremes and errors, it's compelling and refreshing, and it's something that I would recommend to others. I'm like, this is really good. And uh, yeah, I have nothing to add. I don't feel like there's anything, no rebuttal needed. It's, it's just solid. It's right on and was really meaningful to me at the time. And really, that's what my desire is when I'm teaching God's word, just to uh, not to inject my own bias or opinion into things, never to stand in the way of God's people hearing him or growing closer by faith to him. And as we're reading the word, it's good for us to learn, but also it's not just an academic exercise where we're gaining information in our minds, but it should impact our daily lives. The, the way that we live, how we think, what we do, why we pray, that this would, the things that we're speaking about and the things that you're reading on your own, it would really impact life because Christ is our life. So we have concluded our study of Genesis. I've been led to preach on a subject that I don't think I've ever heard a whole sermon uh, dedicated to, um, but it's God's will to heal all, all who come to him. 
And I think when we talk about divine healing, it can be a confusing subject. It can be a delicate sub- subject because it's really personal. Because some have experienced miraculous healing. Some have been changed from uh, just really a dramatic change that's happened. And others have not. And they wonder, well, why? Why haven't I been healed? And I notice that in my prayers, a lot of my prayer is intercession for those who are struggling or suffering, who are going through uh, sickness. And pandemic ending has not ended sickness, has it? There's still a lot of sickness that people are dealing with and painful conditions. And God, by faith in him, when we look to him, he allows us to accept that he has good and redemptive purposes, whether we're healed or not, knowing that it's his will to heal all who come to him through Jesus. So, um... We're going to be in Isaiah 38, verse 1, if you want to turn there. We'll be going through a lot of scriptures today. And it's been a really good study for me in looking through the scriptures because the Bible doesn't explicitly say when sickness entered the world. In Genesis, we do read, though, that when sin entered the world by disobedience to God, death resulted. That life for Adam and Eve dramatically changed because sin, the curse of sin, entered the world and it brought sorrow that was multiplied, right? It said that because of the curse, Eve's sorrow or the sorrow of women in conception would be multiplied, that childbirth would be marked in pain, that the ground would be cursed and bring forth thorns and thistles, which would be sharp and painful. And by the sweat and labor, Adam and his seed would eat the produce of the earth. And the first time we read of divine healing, it's when Abraham prayed for Abimelech in Genesis 20. That God saw to it, Abimelech's wives did not conceive as long as Sarah lived with them. Now, one thing we can understand about being sick is that it moves us to seek help and healing. And for some of us, we have to be really, really sick before we will do anything or do much about it. But God, in his wisdom, he created our bodies masterfully to design to promote healing of wounds with inbuilt protection against microbes And just as God allowed Adam the freedom to choose whether he would obey God or not and allowed sin to enter the world, which is not God's will, right? It's never God's will that people would sin. God at times allows sickness to, in our bodies, to show his will to help, to heal, to teach, to draw people to himself. And we'll see throughout scripture, God uses illness or conditions like when he struck the men of Sodom with blindness to protect his people in that case. God brought judgment upon the Philistines when they took the Ark of God. Remember, he struck them with those tumors because he was showing his supremacy over Dagon and their idols. God brought judgment upon Egypt with various plagues and illnesses to show his supremacy over their idols. And after God brought his people safely out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, They came to water, and they found it undrinkable and bitter. So I'll read for you in Exodus 15 what happened, starting in verse 24. The people were despairing. It says, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. 
The lack of water, it caused people to cry out to Moses. Moses cried out to God. He showed him a tree. He threw the tree in the water, and they were miraculously healed. And God demonstrated that he was Jehovah Rapha, which is the God who heals. He would heal. Notice it doesn't say the God who heals polluted streams. It was, I am the God who heals you. Now, the people didn't know they needed healing. They were thirsty. They wanted to drink. They couldn't perceive. They were spiritually bitter as the waters with unbelief as that, that undrinkable water. God wasn't only concerned about protecting them from illness or healing their bodies from illness, but their embittered minds and their hearts and their wounded souls. And like the Hebrews, we could be much more concerned about having clean water to drink than being forgiven of sin being healed spiritually. People that Jesus taught, they preferred an all-you-can-eat lunch over their souls being saved. Now, in Isaiah 38, it's a passage parallel to 2 Kings 20, so that's somewhere to turn. Uh, it's, a, it's talking about Hezekiah. He was a good king who reigned over Judah. He feared the Lord. We read that many times when the Assyrians came. He sought the Lord. He, he spread out the letters before God and said, Lord, See what they've said, respond. He sought the Lord in prayer on behalf of the people and himself. And this is what it says in Isaiah 38, verse 1. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray. How I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city. Isaiah the prophet, he goes to King Hezekiah, who's very sick, and he says, set your house in order, you're going to die. You're sick and you will die. And he turned to the Lord with tears in great distress. He wept bitterly. He doesn't even ask for healing here. He just asked to be remembered. He said, Lord, remember me that I've served you my life. And in the two kings passage, it says that he, Isaiah had not even reached the middle of the court when God said, turn around and go back to Isaiah and tell him, I have heard his prayer, I have seen his tears, and I've added 15 years to his life. And in addition to that, I am going to deliver you and the city from the Assyrians, and I'm going to protect Jerusalem. I mean, isn't that God doing exceedingly abundantly what we could ask or think? He's lamenting that his life is coming to an end, and God's like, well, I'm going to heal you, I've heard you, I've seen you, and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. He added peace and protection and prosperity. And while healing from God is always of grace, at times we see that in Scripture that a step of obedience is required on the path to healing because further down in Isaiah 38, 21, it says, Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and he shall recover. As far as I know, figs do not have medicinal properties to heal a person of a deadly infection. 
this healing could only be attributed to God, that God had done something. The figs weren't the, the medical balm that he needed. He needed God, and God responded, but that was part of the process of his healing. Now, God promised to heal. We see throughout Scripture he does heal, but people do not always seek him for healing. We read in 2 Chronicles 16, 11 of King Asa, it says, Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. God used that disease in his feet to see, it was a test, would he seek the Lord or not? He sought the doctors instead. Now, it's important to say that going to the doctor or taking prescribed medication, it does not indicate a lack of faith in God um, if you undergo a procedure. The strong implication, though, is a disease or an illness or our suffering, it ought to prompt us to seek the Lord rather than others. Um, and since God is our healer, right, we're to be seeking him because he's the one who designed our bodies. He's the one who heals us. Uh, and even if we follow a doctor's advice, um, having been saved by him, we're called to live for him, whether we're physically healed or not. And thus we seek him. We rely upon him. And the word healing itself, it suggests restoration or return to a state of good health previously enjoyed. Right? That's the meaning of the word rapha. That's the Hebrew word rapha, which is to heal, repair, or rebuild. Now, when Isaiah recovered after that fig plaster was applied, that means to live, revive, or to live again. So there may be some who are seeking healing and wanting to go back to a previous state of good health, but there's also some who seek healing from a permanent condition. If you've suffered from a long illness or a disability, the words that God speaks to Moses, they really give us a lot of encouragement in Exodus 4, verse 10. Please turn there. Exodus 4, verse 10. God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He told him in response to the suffering and cries of his people, God was sending Moses to Egypt to deliver them. Now, Moses is like, well, how, are, how will they believe that you've sent me? And God gave him the ability to, to do three miracles, to convince them that, yes, he has met with God. He is the one who God called to deliver them. But even after those three miracles, Moses didn't believe that he was the man for the job. And this is what it says in uh, Exodus 4.10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. That's slow of tongue. It means thick. Maybe he had a thick accent. Maybe he wasn't enunciating clearly. He wasn't speaking um, with clarity. And he's like, I don't speak well. I don't speak well at all. And God rebukes him because God's like, haven't I made you exactly as I wanted to? God made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind. It was not a blight upon God's goodness or his inability to make what is good. They were made for his divine purposes exactly as he intended. 
There's no mistakes with God, even if you're built differently than others. And instead of giving Moses a new mouth and saying, I'm going to give you the gift of gab. I'm going to help you to speak clearly and enunciate uh, perfectly. He's like, I will be with you. I will, you're to use your mouth as I teach you. I'm going to teach you what to say and you trust me to speak. That God would accomplish his salvation and deliverance. It wasn't Moses' mouth that was a liability. It was an opportunity to trust God and to step out in faith, really out of a comfort zone because public speaking and maybe even just speaking with one person was uncomfortable for him. His natural ability or inability was no hindrance to God who was with him and would help him. Moses didn't need healing. He needed to place faith in God who spoke clearly to him and obey. That's what he needed. Now turn to 1 Kings 14, verse 1. We've talked about people that are born with a chronic condition. Others, we see, develop health problems over time. And this was true concerning Ahijah the prophet in 1 Kings 14, starting in verse 1. And this is awesome. It says, At that time, Abijah the son of Jeroboam became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over his people. Also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him and he will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be, when she comes in, that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was, when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. So you have King Jeroboam telling his wife to don a disguise, go to the prophet Ahijah, and notice it says, arise, disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam. He had set up idols. This is the irony of it. Jeroboam had set up idols in the north and south of the northern kingdom, and these gods were not speaking to him. They could not tell him anything about his, his son's condition, if he would be healed or not. And so to disguise his wife from the people and from the prophet who had, whose prophecy had come true concerning his reign that he would be king, he's like, put on a disguise and go ask about our son's health. What's going to happen? God already spoke to him before she even came to the door. God had already prepped him and prepared him. He gave him her true identity. He gave him words to say. And Ahijah, he didn't even leave his house. And he's like, but I've been sent to you with bad tidings. He had insight, this blind man. From God, he had insight that King Jeroboam and his wife had no idea about. So who's the blind people in this story? Was Ahijah blind? Physically, yes. He had these really bad cataracts. His eyes were glazed by reason of age. But he could see because he heard God. He heard God speak. His, his inability to see did not hinder him at all 
from having spiritual insight, and we ought to value that above our physical health. It wasn't that, well, that's, I need to be blind so that I'll be more spiritually attuned. No. Blindness is not a path to spiritual vision. It's God who sees, God who speaks, God who sends. Oh, that we would hear God speak as Ahijah did. That we would look to him and walk in obedience. Now, because we place a great value on our physical health, reducing our pain, our personal abilities, independence and freedom, our thoughts of miraculous divine healing are usually about the physical, right? Our physical bodies. Since the Holy Spirit came upon the early church in power, according to his will, we read that he gives a diversity of gifts, whether it be the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge, the gift of faith or gifts of healing or others for the edification of the body and the glory of God. And some wonder, well, is the gifts, are the gifts of healing for today because they're not as prevalent or as present as we see in the New Testament or in the book of Acts and specifically. And to that ask, are there sick people today? Hmm. There's certainly a need. We say there's a, a need for the gift of teaching because people need to be taught the word of God so they can know him. But there is obviously a need for healing, both spiritually and physically. Is it any surprise, though, that we don't see or experience miraculous healing if we don't believe it's God's will that you should be healed? If you don't believe that he could heal you, or if you're not convinced that, yes, I know that it's God's will to heal, or if we rely upon doctors rather than God, or we don't ask in faith, should we expect divine healing if all those other conditions are never met? Like if someone asks you to say, pray for healing for this person, you're like, well, I'm not really sure if it's God's will. Hmm. I don't know exactly how I should pray for that. I don't want to be outed as someone without faith, and I, I, I don't know if God's going to heal them or not. And so therefore, I don't know if it's his will. But as we'll see, we'll, it is God's will to heal everyone who comes to Christ. It is his will, and we'll unpack that a little bit more. James says, we have not often because we ask not and when we ask, we ask amiss that we may use it on our own lusts. We have a motive that doesn't include God at all. We just want him to heal us so we can feel better. Not because we want to glorify him or honor him in some way. The refusal to put our faith in Christ is one reason God does not heal bodies or save souls even, something that he, we know he wants to do. It says of Jesus in Mark 6, 5 and 6, now Jesus, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about in the villages in a circuit teaching. Physical healing, that is nothing for God to do. It is like easy for him to heal, right? He created us from nothing. He can heal us. The implication is there. There was a mighty work God wanted to do. That was a spiritual work, a revival among them. We would be quite content with just a few folks being laid hands on and having them healed. Wouldn't we? If that was you, you'd be like, I'm content with that. I'd just like to be physically healed. Thank you very much. Miraculous physical healing, it just begins to scratch the surface of what God can do and does. That's only a temporary benefit. But God saves souls. God delivers us and heals us from within. 
Now let's take a brief look at the healing ministry of Jesus. He's Jehovah Rapha personified. And I say, when I desire healing from an illness, I am often the center of my reasons for why. Right? I want to stop the pain of the headache and fever. I want to be able to go and do the thing that I want to do. I want to be able to keep the appointments I made or be able to attend that event that I said I'm going to. We'll see that healing, it is always a tool that works towards God's good ends. Now, there are no patterns in the ways or means that Jesus healed people, but there are patterns why. We'll only be able to scratch the surface, but let's look at a few. Let's turn to Matthew 8, verse 14 of healings Jesus performed. Matthew 8, 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Without being asked, he just touched her hand, and the fever left her. She rose and served them. It said that people were brought to him, and it didn't matter what their ailment was, whether it was a physical problem or they were demon-possessed, they had spiritual bondage. He didn't discriminate. He didn't deny that some should not be healed or some should, because his will is that all would be healed who come to him. Matthew tells us his healing fulfilled prophecy of Isaiah 53.4. We usually apply that to the work Jesus did on the cross, but he said, Jesus fulfilled this right then. He took the sicknesses upon himself right then. He did take them upon himself ultimately on Calvary, but he did even beforehand. If you're writing dot points, he healed to fulfill prophecy, to show God's will to heal all who come to him, and to identify with the Messiah. Another reason Jesus healed and gave that ability to his disciples was to demonstrate his power over all sickness, all disease, and all spirits. As it says in Matthew 10, 1, Jesus never turned anyone away because their case was too far gone or advanced. It didn't matter if they were full of a legion of demons or full of leprosy, he healed them all. He's able to cure and save all who came to him. Another reason he healed was in response to faith in him. And to demonstrate he was able to forgive sins, and thus was God. Remember in Mark chapter 2, men brought a paralyzed man. They couldn't get into the house to see Jesus, and so they pulled the roof apart, and they lowered this sick man right before Jesus. And he said, it says, when he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes are sitting there going, this man is a blasphemer. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he says, well, so you know the Son of Man has the power Um, to forgive sins, I'm going to say to this man, rise up and walk. And he did. And the people saw it and glorified God. That, That being able to physically heal, it showed his ability really to forgive sins, that he was God. He healed in response to people's faith. Other times he did so to show compassion and to glorify God. Turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 12.
Luke 7, verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. We're not told if the widow of Nain had heard of Jesus, knew Jesus, or had faith in him at all. But Jesus saw her. He had compassion on her, and he went to her. And as they're carrying the coffin out of the city, he just went up and touched it, and they all stopped. He, he spoke to the dead man as if he was alive, and he just sat up and started talking. And the people are like, wow, they glorified God. Jesus, he raised dead Lazarus to life, even though his sisters were angry at him for not coming sooner, right? He had been dead and buried for four days. And they're like, he wouldn't have died if you'd have been here sooner. He's like, well, your attitude stinks. No, they weren't asking for healing. They didn't think you could be healed from death. But what did Jesus do? He said, Glorif glorify me so that people know I've been sent from you, God. Lazarus, come out. And he did. Awesome. God's will is to heal, to save, to give life according to the riches of his grace. And to sum up, he healed to fulfill prophecy, to show God's will to heal all who come to him, to prove his power over illness and every spirit, to show he could forgive sin, to show he's the Messiah, to show compassion, his grace, and to give glory to God. That's just a, a very brief list of the reasons why he heals. Now, consider this logical flow. Because Jesus healed people spiritually and physically for God's good reasons, it therefore follows that illness itself serves God's good reasons. God can be glorified by healing people and also by allowing illnesses and conditions to remain. So why would God choose not to heal? I mean, we want to be healed in every case. We're going to go through those. A handful of them, again, not exhaustive, but just scratching the surface. Uh, to Jews under the law, illness was potentially evidence of judgment of God. It says so in Deuteronomy 28.61. God said, also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. So Sickness evidenced by people, experienced by people, it was a gracious warning of their dire spiritual state. So to people under the law, they could know when we're sick, is it because we are breaking God's commands that he's given us? And it was to the end they would repent. They would be restored spiritually with forgiveness and cleansing. And Paul explained to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32, that because of their abuse of the Lord's Supper, many of them were weak were sick and died prematurely because they were in unrepentant sin. God used that illness to chasten them to repentance, that they would turn from their wickedness, that they would seek the Lord and learn to judge themselves with righteous judgment. 
That's spelled out in the passage. Now, it would be a great error to assume that when someone is sick or has a permanent condition, it must be a result of their sin. Like they had to have done something to deserve that condition. And that strips, that mindset strips us of all compassion for them and removes people from the grace of God who allows things for his good purposes. The friends of Job, they assumed he had sinned and that he needed to repent because he suffered the loss of his wealth, the loss of his 10 children, and had boils from head to toe. James 5, it says that God allowed that. He was a righteous man, the most righteous man who was living, and it was to reveal God's compassion and mercy. Now turn to John chapter 9, verse 1. The disciples, they had been raised under the law. They had a, I guess, a lawful mindset. John 9, verse 1 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So disciples see this sick, this blind man, and they just go, family curse. Somebody sinned. Was it this guy or his parents? And he's like, no. has nothing to do with that. It's not that they were, had never sinned before in their life, but the fact he was blind had nothing to do with their lifestyle or their sin. He hadn't done anything in particular to deserve that condition. The purpose, what is it? It says that God's works would be revealed in him. Notice, it's not to him. It's not through him. It's in him. That's marvelous. Like, this man is blind so that the works of God could be uh, revealed in him. He could know God in a way that other people couldn't because of this illness, because of this condition. God had a wonderful plan for this man that others imagined he was a worse sinner than any because he was not able to see. And so by the healing power of Jesus Christ, we'll see the man saw Jesus as the Messiah and his Lord whom he worshiped. That's how the chapter ends, where he's worshiping Jesus, seeing him as Savior. Now, like Abraham, who prayed for Abimelech, sickness and infirmity, it mobilizes others to be praying for them. Many people, they came to Jesus and they brought others with them because they were sick. That's why they sought him. They wanted healing. If they, had, if they had been well, they would have continued in their farms. They would not have come to him. They would have continued in their place of business. But they came because they needed him. They needed healing. And it prompted them to seek him. Aaron and Miriam, they spoke against Moses. It says that God's anger was aroused and he struck Miriam with leprosy. And Aaron begged Moses to do something about it. And then Numbers 12, 13, it says, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. Now, if, if Miriam had not been struck with leprosy, would he have been crying out to God with such fervency? Please heal her. He, w- he wouldn't have been praying for her at that time. But because she was sick, he was moved to pray for her. The reality was leprosy was the least of her troubles because her rebellion against Moses was really against God. 
God heard the cry of Moses. He directed her to be shut out of camp for seven days, and then God healed her and restored her. And hopefully she repented of her rebellion as well. She dealt with the spiritual thing as well as um, how God had uh, protected her or healed her from her leprosy something that was incurable. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, a personal testimony from Paul, the apostle that God chose not to heal. We think sometimes that God hears the prayers of certain people because of their role in the church or that, that God, they, they kind of have a better connection to God. You're on dial-up and they're on like hyperfiber, and and that you need to talk to the right people to be praying or people that are particularly gifted to be healed. If there was somebody who had a better connection, we'd say that Paul had a really good connection. But of course, that's not true. That's a a myth. The context was Paul had shared how he suffered. He had had infirmities. He had had difficulties that his, his life depended on God saving him. He's like, one time I was in the city of Damascus. I had to be lowered outside the city in a basket from the wall to survive. Like, Things have been difficult. And this word infirmity he talks about, it means weakness, sickness, or disease. He writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul had received these divine uh, revelations and visions from God. And God also allowed this messenger of Satan. It was a demonic attack that resulted in physical pain, physical discomfort. And this messenger of Satan, it was really a reminder of his weakness and need for humility before God. And he didn't want it. He didn't want this messenger of Satan. He didn't want to be suffering. And so he says, three times I prayed that God would remove this from me. I mean, aren't these things we would like to end, right? Our infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distress. Like we're like, yeah, I don't want any of that. Wouldn't wouldn't he be more fruitful and useful if he didn't have this thorn in the flesh, this painful thing? Wouldn't life be better without this discomfort? Instead of healing him or removing that messenger of Satan, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So he accepts this divine trade-off by faith in God with joy, saying, you know, I can see God's purposes in it. It's good. And I'm going to rejoice in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. Because in weakness, he found God's strength. And when God allowed him to suffer pain and spiritual attack, He gloried in God's grace toward him. And it's eyes of faith that can perceive that and rejoice in it in the midst of suffering. So friends, do we value the grace of God and his strength over our physical health? We're like, Lord, I'm suffering. 
but you're my strength through this suffering. God can be glorified through miraculous healing. He can also be glorified in continuing illness and weakness. So, to sum up some of those things we talked about, God allows illness and suffering as judgment for sin to chasten his people to repentance so God's works would be revealed in us so we will seek God, so we will pray for each other because his grace is sufficient for us and in our weakness discover God's strength with joy. Now because we know it's God's will to save and heal all who come to him, we can pray confidently to this end without wondering if it's God's will to heal. The way God heals and when he heals, we are to leave the timing up to him. In the name of Jesus, some might be healed in an instant, others by degrees, and some will not be physically whole until we leave these bodies and we are in heaven. Even as we still can sin in these bodies of flesh, we can still be sick even though we have been redeemed and born again and forgiven. There will be a day when we will be fully healed in soul, spirit, mind, and body. Our part is to exercise faith in the healing power of God over all infirmities and conditions, to rejoice in the Lord to, and his grace, whether or not we feel better, whether or not we see anything changing. There should be humility and willingness to personally confess our infirmities to each other because if we're ashamed and embarrassed to admit our need, how will God be glorified in our deliverance? Right? If we're not willing to admit that we're sick or that we have a need, how can God get the glory if we've kept that all under wraps? So James 5.13, let's turn there. Just a couple more passages. You guys are hanging in there. Believe it or not, there was a, a lot of culling from this. James 5.13 says, if, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. If is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The one who is sick is exhorted to seek God in prayer. He says, are you sick? Let him pray. You should not expect the, other, the prayers of others to be more effectual if you will not pray to God yourself over your own condition. Like, I need that person to pray for me, or I need those elders to pray for me. No, you pray. You pray if you're sick. This word, sick, we should not limit it just to physical because uh, it is also defined as those who are weak, weary, and fatigued. Among the Jews, anointing with oil, that was something they did for medicinal reasons. It was something they did to show hospitality, to refresh those who came to their house. And the word for anointing here, it's, it's the mundane word rather than the sacred or religious word. So the context of this whole passage, it's emphasizing prayer, emphasizing faith in God, confession of sin to your brethren, knowing that God will save the sick, he will raise them up, he will forgive, he will heal. And so the same confidence we have in God forgiving us 
when we confess our sins to him, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, we can also have confidence he will heal us. Again, the timing is up to him. The most important aspect of this restoration is spiritual because God responds to the prayer of faith, not the volume of oil used. Like, well, one person just put some oil on my head. Another one, like, dumped it on. I need it really just a gallon of that dumped on me. Maybe then it will work. It's the prayer of faith that saves the sick. It's God who is the healer. You don't need anyone but Jesus. He is the healer. Place your faith in him. Now a day is coming with, for every Christian where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, crying, or pain. Sickness will pass away and be remembered no more. And we will rejoice to dwell forever in the presence of our Lord, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And I want to just conclude with Psalm 103, verse 1. You can turn there if you'd like. Such a great passage. Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. May our lives be lived to bless our Lord who forgives all our sins, who heals all our diseases, who redeems our life from destruction, who crowns us with his love, who satisfies us with good, who revives us, who renews us by his grace. I mean, what an awesome God that he would save us that he would heal us, and that we have such a glorious future to look forward to, and also a God who's willing to speak to us now, who's willing to show us our need to come to him and seek him and trust him. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and your wisdom. Thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals us. And thank you that you care more about us than just healing our physical bodies for a season but you want to save us to live with you forever and to glorify you while we're here on earth. And I pray, Lord, you would show us when we have not believed it was your will to heal people who come to you, that you, have, you will reveal to us our sin that can lead to illness. You would show us our need for repentance and our need to stop judging other people who are sick um, as if they've sinned worse than us because they've had long-standing conditions or problems. And I pray, Lord, we would not give in to despair in our weakness or our struggles, that we would know that you have good purposes in healing us and allowing conditions to remain. And Lord, may you be glorified in and through each one of our lives, that our lives would be a testimony of your power to forgive, to heal, to save, to redeem and restore. And Lord, we look forward to being in your presence and we look forward to sharing your love with others and extending your grace and compassion while you tarry. And so, Lord, we bless your holy name and we thank you that you are the God who heals. You're the God who loves and are, you're gracious to us in all seasons of life. In Jesus' name, amen.